Friends, we're looking today at the Gospel of Mark, and we're jumping into a story, and what happens right before the text that we're going to read is that Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, he goes to a synagogue and begins to teach, but then there's a man who has a demon, and Jesus casts out the demon, and everybody is amazed, not only by what he teaches, but also by the fact that he has cast out a demon. And so this morning, we're picking up the story right after that happened. This is Mark chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 29, page 1425 in your pew Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. This is the word of the Lord. Just a show of hands, how many of us know someone who is recovering from an illness or an injury? How many of us know someone who's struggling with anxiety or depression? How many of us know someone who has cancer? Our bodies, though they're able to do amazing things, are also incredibly frail and vulnerable. And it's bad enough when we ourselves get sick. But when someone we love gets sick, when someone we know and care for is hurt, that's almost worse. Because we would do anything to fix them. We would do anything to heal them. We would do anything to take away their pain to heal a chronic illness, to take away diabetes, to heal a badly sprained ankle. We would do whatever it took. And so we understand these people in Capernaum. We get it. We get why they were desperate to get to Jesus. They wanted him to see their dad who'd been badly burned or their young sister who somehow lost her eyesight, or grandpa who had a demon and had become somebody totally different. They were desperate for the people that they loved to get the healing that they all longed for. But it was Sabbath day when this story took place, and on the Sabbath, Jews could only travel 2,000 cubits, which is one kilometer or just over half a mile, so two laps of a track. That's the only distance they could travel on Sabbath. And so what had to have happened for all these folks to come and gather around the door is that the people who were at the synagogue and actually witnessed the casting out of the demon, they went their 2,000 cubits and told people, and they went their 2,000 cubits and told people, and they went their 2,000 cubits and told people, and on and on and on and on. Another challenge of the Sabbath was that you couldn't carry anything. 
So even if you were walking your 2,000 cubits, you couldn't carry someone. So even for the people who were closest to the event, and they had somebody sick at home, they couldn't carry them to Jesus. They had to wait until Sabbath was over. That is why Mark is very explicit in this text about saying that it was after sunset. That's when Sabbath ends. In fact, when three stars came out, that was a sign that Sabbath was over. And so even though these people were desperate for healing for themselves or the people they loved, they also loved the law of God. They were obedient. They waited until the time of rest was done, and then they could work. So we can imagine a dad watching the sky, seeing that third star come out, and then bending down and wrapping his three-year-old in a blanket and rushing down the path toward Capernaum. He's joined on the path by children who are helping their aging parents, by friends who are carrying their friends. He's joined on the path by everyone else who longs for healing. Everyone is heading to the home of the healer. And Mark, like a filmmaker, gives us two shots of this scene. The first scene is an intimate shot. It's when he heals Peter's mother-in-law. It's like a zooming in. Jesus is told that she's sick, and we are told by Mark that this is what happens. He goes in toward her. He looks at her. He reaches out. He touches her hand. He lifts her up. He lifts her up. Mark uses a phrase here that's associated with resurrection. He lifts her up. And then we're told Peter's mother-in-law immediately begins to serve them. And lest we think that this is a whole gender thing and, you know, that's what the women's supposed to get up and, you know, make us a snack. No, <laughs> it's not what's happening here. As you can see through the book of Mark, it tends to be the people who have been healed, who have something happen that's amazing to them, who immediately then begin to serve other people. You see, when you realize what Jesus has done for you, you want to serve other people. That's a theme in the book of Mark, and it comes out right away here in chapter 1. She's healed, she gets up, and she thinks, just as this has been done for me, I will now get, I get to serve you. I get to do something for you. Thank you for healing me. I would be delighted to bring you a snack. She gets it. That's the close-up. That's the zooming-in angle. The wide-angle lens is all these other folks who gather outside the door. But by linking these two images, what Mark wants us to know is that all of these healings that took place here were just as intimate and just as personal as the one for Peter's mother-in-law. They don't all gather around the door and Jesus goes, whoosh and heals everybody. There's no wand involved here. There's no magic. Every healing is just like that mother-in-law's healing where it's intimate and personal and he knows the person and he looks at them and he heals their, hears their story and he touches them and he lifts them up. 
He raises them to a new life without pain or chronic disease or demon possession. He is intimate. What we see here in the Gospel of Mark is a sign of what is yet to come. Not only in the rest of the Gospel story, not only in what Jesus did the first time he was on earth, but we also get a glimpse of what is yet to come. Because Jesus didn't finish his work when he was here the first time. You notice that Mark doesn't say here, everybody got healed. He says he healed many. He doesn't say, and everyone within a six-mile radius of Capernaum was healed. There was some work that was left incomplete. Jesus didn't heal a lot of the societal ills that plagued people and still do. When Jesus was around, there were still wars, plagues, famine, global pandemics. There was still anger and greed and violence and abuse. There was a lot left undone. There's still work to do. And the beautiful thing is that our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, invites us to partner with him in doing that work. Because we have been healed from the disease of sin, and some of us have stories of healing from physical maladies, we get to now serve other people, just as Peter's mother-in-law did. We get to partner with God in renewing his world. So at Calvin University, where I work, we have a mission statement, and it goes like this. Calvin University equips students to think deeply, act justly, and live wholeheartedly as Christ's agents of renewal in the world. And that whole idea of being agents of renewal is right in the heart of what it means to be a Reformed Christian. Because the Reformed Christians say we engage the world. We don't boycott things. We don't shut things off. We don't say some industries you can go into as a Christian, other industries we shouldn't. We say, no, 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 we're going to go in and get it all. We are going to renew and redeem all the things. Which is why at a place like Calvin University, at places like the schools where many of us send our children, we are taught that our faith moves us toward being great web designers, computer programmers, pediatricians, artists, filmmakers. This is what we do as part of our obedience to Christ. Because he has done this for us, we get to do this for other people. This is part of our joy. This is part of our delight. You see, we live in this in-between time, what, what theologians will call the already and the not yet. The already is that Jesus has come, and he has ushered in the kingdom of God. But the not yet is that it's not how it's going to be. We still have people who die of cancer. We still have people who struggle with Parkinson's, who lose their parents. We still have little ones who need treatment 
We still live in a world that's marked by brokenness and violence and corruption. But in, 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 we don't let those things shape our activity now. We don't give in. We don't despair. We say, because this has already happened, because Jesus Christ has come, because he has died and rose again, we get to live into the new heavens and the new earth. We get to move toward that future. We get to be people of hope in a world that so desperately needs it. We use the truth that what has come will come again to motivate us to be the absolute best we can be at engaging this world. That's why we do all the things that were on the screen. That's why we do the Kids Hope and the Hand to Hand. That's why we do the music concerts. That's why we do all this stuff, because we think this is one way we get to usher in the kingdom. This is a way we get to partner with God in bringing resurrection, in raising people up. This is why we do small groups. This is why we do coffee and learn each other's name and wear the name tag, even though you may feel silly wearing the name tag. Wearing the name tag is a way to build the kingdom of God. Because when I know your name, I've got a way to engage with you and say, you matter to me. I see you. I'm going to pay attention to you. You're part of my body. We sing all these songs about being the body and the know we are Christians by our love. We wear our name tags because of that. It's a really small thing that can make a really big difference about saying, you matter to me. You matter to me. This is why we do all these things. It's not to earn God points. He's not keeping score. It's not the way it works. It's we get to do these things because just as Jesus looked at Peter's mother-in-law and healed her and raised her up, this is what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. He has rescued us from sin and darkness and despair and raised us to a life of holiness and purity and hope and joy. And we get to now do those things for others as signposts of the kingdom that is yet to come. One of my favorite theologians, I don't know if everybody has a favorite theologian, but one of my favorite theologians is N.T. Wright, who's an English theologian. He was a bishop. He's now a teacher. And in his book, Surprised by Hope, which I strongly recommend, Surprised by Hope, you'll see it. It'll be like, oh, that's really thick. That looks intimidating. It's very readable. The font is large. <laughs> Surprised by hope. This is what he says. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, shout out, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply way, ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind together. They're part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. 
That's the invitation we get. That's what Jesus is up to right here at the very beginning of the book of Mark. He says, look at what I am doing, and now you get to be part of it too. So as we close, as we have the table, and we'll worship together, and we'll watch each other come up, this is all part of saying we are building God's kingdom together. And it's hard, and we may disagree about some things, and we may tussle with each other. You may have had a fight in the minivan on the way here. But we believe that as God in Christ has done this amazing thing for us, we get to do this for other people. And it's the sacrament that gives us that fuel and fire. And so, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus has lifted you up. And now you get to do that for others. Will you pray with me? Our God, we give you praise and thanks today. For you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to usher in the kingdom. To point us beyond the now to the not yet. And so we pray that we will be keepers of hope, keepers of light, agents of renewal, people who point to the new heavens and the new earth. So as we begin this new programming year as a church, we pray for the energy and joy to bring light to others. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.